All right, welcome home, everybody on every campus. Welcome home, everybody. Woo! Man, aren't you glad to be worshiping together today? Isn't this awesome? Woo, let me just soak this in for a minute. Y'all are so pretty, I'm telling you, man. This empty room is just not it. It is not it. I've been imagining all of you. You all sit in the same chairs almost every week. You know that, right? And so I've just been imagining where the real believers are, and it's been so cool. Hey, listen, for those of you who are joining us online today, and I just want to say wherever you may be, man, thank you for coming to join with us. But I hope you're here to celebrate with us. We are regathering our church together after 192 days. 192 days. Let's thank God, man. You know, our ministry never closed. Uh, our worship services never ceased because of COVID-19. But 192 days ago, we shifted to online worship services out of consideration for the weakest among us and honestly, in obedience to Christ's command to put others before yourself. You know, by God's grace, though, we are regathering now, and I am glad to be back. Let me hear an amen. 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 Oh, I hadn't heard one of those in a long time either. All right. Now, listen, if you chose not to join us today and you're online because of a health issue or maybe you live in England or Africa or Ann Arbor and you started worshiping with us in the last six months, man, and it's too far for you to drive in, we developed this online service for you because we love you and, man, we want to serve you. And we hope that you will lock in with us every week. And I'm not talking about watching a service. I'm talking about you participate with us in ministry through our online ministry because you're going to learn today that Jesus intends to use his church to make a difference in this world and he wants to use you and me and everybody else. And can I just say thank you for... I am so thankful for the way our church has continued praying for other people and inviting others to our services and serving those who are grieving and tithing and giving and supporting our global mission outreach efforts. And friends, I'm telling you, God has used our church in just profound ways through this difficult, difficult time. And you know what? That's his way. And friends, that has always been his way. And today we're going to finish up a series of messages that we started on the foundations of the New Testament church. And then next week, we're starting a series of messages on heaven, and I am excited about it. Friends, the New Testament writers believe that no matter how good you got it here, heaven will be better. And no matter how hard you got it here, how hard life may be now, you can stay strong because you are heaven-bound. Dude, heaven is on the horizon if you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're not excited about that, maybe that's my fault. Maybe I just haven't taught you very well. But let me tell you, we're fixing that starting next week. Uh, so bring your one, get in here, you're going to love this series of messages. But today, we're going to finish a series of messages on the foundations of the New Testament church. So open your Bible with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to study verses 42 to 47, and then also flip over to Acts 29, and just hold your finger there in Acts 29, okay? So you got Acts 2 and then Acts 29. Flip over to Acts 29. Y'all got that? <laughs> you got it? If you're having trouble, it's because there is no such thing as Acts 29, all right? There's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. We're writing Acts 29 right now. Can I hear amen? amen? Listen, that's how we think about church history is Acts 29 right up to today. Now, friends, the church was established in Acts chapter 2, and it thrived and spread throughout the entire Roman Empire, and Luke, the author of the book of Acts, records all that for us. And, and listen, when he gets to Acts 28... We pick it up from there, and we've been living Acts 29 ever since. And so I want to do something today that's very unusual for me. 
I want to show you an epic piece of history today, not necessarily biblical history, but world history that explains why we have done what we've done as a church today because of what happened all the way back in Acts chapter 2. Now, Edward Gibbon is a historian, and he wrote a classic uh, group of history books called The History of the Decline and the Fall of the Roman Empire. And it is a massive eight-volume set. I mean, he, I think he thought about every day of the Roman Empire. The first edition was published in 1776, and it's eight volumes. But, you know, if you don't read that much, you can get the short version, the abridged version that only has 1,300 pages in it. But friends, Gibbon is not a follower of Jesus. But my friend Ashley Woolridge says that Gibbon documents something that happened in the Roman Empire that almost all historians agree on. He says that in the year 33 AD, the Romans crucified Jesus of Nazareth. Now they crucified him on the authority of the emperor Tiberius. He was executed by the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of the region of Judea. But the Romans crucified Jesus. That is a historical fact. Now what happened after that is that he, he, his followers were persecuted by both the Jewish authorities who had conspired against Jesus and the Roman authorities who actually crucified him. And because they were persecuted, those followers scattered all over the Roman Empire because of persecution. But because they were eyewitnesses of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, they testified to what they had seen everywhere they went. Consequently, the church began to just grow dramatically. Now, the Roman government considered this a threat because the Christians would not play ball. The Christians would not do the politically correct thing and just pay religious homage to Caesar. And so those followers of Jesus were persecuted in the Roman Empire for the next 300 years. For example, in the year 64 A.D., Nero, the emperor of Rome, began persecuting Christians. He started persecuting followers of Jesus with a ferocity that would be hard for us to even imagine. He would take followers of Jesus and wrap them up in bloody animal skins and toss them into an arena with wild animals and then watch as they were just ripped to pieces and everybody thought that was fun. He had Christian teenagers who loved the Lord Jesus impaled and then splashed with some kind of accelerant. And he lit them on fire to light his garden parties. You know why he did that? Because he's insane. He was sin sick. But also the Romans were trying to stamp out this growing movement of followers of Jesus that we call the church today. And it was kind of a pacification by force technique that was designed to evoke fear across the empire, fear of having anything to do with Jesus or any of his followers. And Rodney Stark writes about this in his book, The Rise of Christianity. Now, Nero's persecution waned when he died, but it was followed by a second wave of persecution that was launched by the emperor Domitian in 81 AD. Now, friends, when the Roman catacombs started during the days of Domitian, when literally this is where they buried the first Roman soldiers that were killed for their faith, when Domitian decided to purge the Roman army of anybody that was a follower of Jesus, those soldiers refused to denounce their faith, and so they were killed, and they were buried right here in these catacombs. Domitian is the emperor who boiled the apostle John in oil and John survived it by a miracle of God and it freaked the emperor out so much that he had John exiled to the island of Patmos where Jesus personally came to visit John and gave him the book of Revelation. I've been to that spot. We've taken hundreds of compassion Christians there. Uh, I'm going to take another group there in 2022, Lord willing. 
But friends, every Roman emperor for the next 200 years launched a wave of persecution against the church. And if you, you just feel free to fact check this if you want to, but please wait till after my message is over, all right? The third emperor was Trajan. Then Marcus Aurelius, who was in the, the um, Gladiator movie. And then Severus and Maximus and Decius and Valerian and Aurelian. And finally Diocletian. The first 10 emperors of the Roman Empire launched waves of persecution. And then the next guy, the next guy to be named emperor of Rome was named Constantine. And his mother apparently exposed him to Jesus. And Constantine was so impressed with the courage and the resilience that he saw in these followers of Jesus that he was deeply moved by their faith. And ironically, 300 years after the Romans killed Jesus on a cross, Constantine declares Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. Unbelievable. How does this happen? I mean, how do you go from 10 waves of bloodthirsty persecution against the church to totally changing your policy and making the Christian religion the dominant faith in the empire. Now, I told you this a couple weeks ago. Uh, Rodney Stark, who is a historian, says that by the time, by 350 A.D., 33 million people were followers of Jesus in the Roman Empire. Now, think about that. It went from 1 to 12 to 120 to 3,000 to 100,000 followers of Christ in Jerusalem at the end of the first century. And then by the end of the 250 years later, 56% of the Western world declared their faith in Jesus. Now, how does that happen? I mean, that is unprecedented in history. It seems impossible. They didn't have any church buildings. They didn't have this militant convert or die strategy like Islam imposed. And then the crusades, you know, were launched to put a stop to that. And listen, can I just say we all know that the church went sideways during the crusades and the dark ages. The church kind of lost its testimony because the church veered away from the teachings of Jesus. But that's not what happened in the New Testament church. And that's not what happened in the first three centuries of church history. Man, we see in those first 300 years viral growth of the church during super disruptive times that has never been replicated in history since. So how in the world did that happen? How did the early church spread so far and so fast and have such a massive impact on the world? Maybe it was awesome preaching. Now we know in Acts chapter 2 it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And let me tell you, those guys were eyewitnesses of the historic death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And bro, when they told that story, it was powerful. Maybe that was it. That's part of it. Maybe it was the missionaries they sent out. You know, in the book of Acts, it talks about three missionary journeys that the Apostle Paul took across the Roman Empire, planting churches everywhere he went. Man, God used that. It was awesome. I'll tell you what they did not do, though. They didn't have any big rallies. They didn't have any conventions. They didn't run out the Colosseum, run out the Hippodrome, and hope a big Christian concert there. Because if they had, every one of them had been killed. Closest they came to social media was inventing this. You ever seen this before? The fish sign that is representative of three or four of the solid doctrines about the Lord Jesus. Christians literally would make this sign in the sand outside where the church was meeting, and people would know if you're a Christian, you can come here and you can find some fellowship. And let me tell you, that was happening in cities all over the empire. But there are lots of reasons why, you know, the church grew so far and so fast. But there are two factors that contribute to the viral spread of faith in Jesus. And one of them you never hear talked about today. In fact, I don't think I have ever taught on one 
of these factors, and I'm sad to say that, because if I had, it would have helped us through the last six months of disruption and all of mess with COVID. There are two responses of Christ followers that God used in the second century to change the world. Number one is how followers of Jesus respond to persecution. How do they respond to persecution? Because persecution purifies the church. Let me tell you, man, when it is tough and it is dangerous to be a follower of Jesus, who admits they're a follower of Jesus? Only strong, bold people. And let me tell you, no doubt that had a lot to do with the viral spread of Christianity, and it still does to our day. Man, I remember a buddy of mine coming back from China where he had visited a bunch of underground churches because, you know, you have to have underground churches in China or you get thrown in jail. And he told us that he was in a church, they were having the service, and when they did their worship like we had here a few minutes ago, everybody sang in a whisper. Everybody sang in a whisper because they were afraid if they sang with full voice, they'd be found out and arrested and then worse would follow. He said he was in one of those house churches and he saw a girl come for baptism and she brought her suitcase. And he thought, what's, what, what's that about? He asked his host, what's that about? And he said, oh, well, uh, you know, when she decided to be a follower of Jesus, her family disowned her. When she became a follower of Christ, they threw her out of the family. They said, your faith is putting us in danger, so you got to go. <laughs> and there she was at her baptism with her suitcase. Now, friends, that kind of persecution produces bold faith. You know why? It blows all the wimps out. Can I get an Amen. <laughs> It just does, man. And let me tell you, our church is made up of a lot of really bold followers. And I think that has a lot to do with why God has blessed our ministry so much. But another reason that Christianity spread so far so fast that I have never taught on is how the followers of Jesus responded to global pandemics. Because it always becomes a platform for the church. Think about this. This is a historic fact in the past God used exactly what we're going through right now with COVID-19 as a platform to launch faith in Jesus across the Roman Empire, even as the empire was trying to destroy the church through persecution. Now look at this, because I'm telling you this is crazy, but it is a historical fact. In these first few hundred years of the life of the church, two massive plagues hit the Roman Empire just after the church began its rapid expansion because of Paul's missionary journeys on one side and because persecuted believers were scattering all over the empire on the other. The first happened in 165 AD. It was the outbreak of what we call the Antonine Plague. It came back to Rome with the Roman soldiers who were returning from campaigns in the Near East. That plague decimated the Roman Empire for 15 years. 15 years. Now you've got to be thinking right now, why so long? You know the answer to that. No meds, no masks, no, no encouragement to wash your hands, no sanitation, no hospitals to treat the sick. Dude, it was brutal. And then 70 years later, another massive global pandemic called the Cyprian Plague hit the Roman Empire. Uh, you know, the plague came out of northern Africa, came from Ethiopia back home with the troops. That, that plague lasted 20 years. And friends, these two pandemics rocked the Roman world. They literally made COVID-19 seem insignificant in comparison. Historians suggest that the Antonine Plague was the first global outbreak of smallpox. Now think about that. Smallpox. No vaccine. None of the sanitizing practices we have today. No way to fight it. Brutal. The Cyprian Plague, many historians believe, was the first global outbreak of measles or maybe a form of Ebola. There's some debate about that. But regardless of what they were, these two pandemics 
hit the Roman Empire like a Category 7 hurricane. Any, any of y'all ever seen a Category 7 hurricane? Category 7 hurricane? Did I say that? <laughs> 7 hurricane? No, there ain't no such thing. That would be winds up in excess of 250 miles an hour. But let me tell you, that's how these plagues hit the Roman Empire and left a pathway of death behind them that is hard for us to even imagine. Think about it. Measles, smallpox, super contagious, deadly lethal, no vaccine, no hospitals where you can isolate and fight the infection like we have today. No common knowledge that, you know, hand washing and masks and physical distancing could combine and maybe reduce the infection rate like we have today. Dude, these plagues spread like wildfire. During the Cyprian plague, 5,000 people died a day in Rome, every day. Day after day after day after day until 25% of the population of the Roman Empire had died. Now, the current projections for the death rate for COVID-19 in the U.S. is 410,000 people we fear may die by the end of this year. And we're praying that's not going to happen and we're doing everything we can with social distancing and masks and just being smart to try to keep that from happening. If we saw the same mortality rate with the as, as they saw in the Cyprian plague, we'd be talking about 80 to 100 million people dying in the United States and then a billion worldwide. That's how massive these pandemics were. And friends, this is why historian Kyle, Kyle Harper says the plague nearly saw the end of the Roman Empire. Now, I hope you know, I'm not trying to minimize COVID because I'm telling you, I got good friends who are fighting for their lives right now. And this is also why I'm so thankful that so many of you have summoned your courage and regathered with us here for worship, but you brought your mask and your social distancing and you're sanitizing every chance you get. You're being smart. You're being considerate of other people, way smarter than those folks were back in the day. But what this should teach us is that as bad as COVID is, history assures us it could be a lot, lot worse. Now, I know what some of y'all are thinking. Cam, Really? Welcome back to Compassion. We're going to have Pandemic Sunday, you know, a pandemic sermon, that, that history of pandemics. That's what you're going to teach on the regathering uh, service of our church? No! Dude, this is about how God takes an evil thing and uses it for good. This message is about how God used a global pandemic to advance the gospel and expand the kingdom. Dude, we're talking about the foundations of the New Testament church here. We're talking about how the church grew so far and so fast in a world where they had to face persecution and pandemics. Now let's just hit pause here for a second and let me remind you that we serve a God who can see the future, amen? amen. And a hundred years before this stuff started happening, God put something in place that would change the world. Now look at it in your Bible at Acts 2.42. Look at it with me, everybody. Turn there in your Bible. Get on it at home. Come on, man. In Acts 2.42, let me show you something that literally nobody in the world had ever seen before until God started working in the hearts of the people who loved him. Acts 2.42 is a description of the church. Let me tell you, when it had its best leadership, it had its most passionate vision, and it was working right. Look at Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves. Listen, man, it wasn't business as usual. It wasn't whatever. It wasn't if you feel like it. Dude, they were devoted. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Man, it was an amazing thing. Consequently, consequently, everybody was filled with awe. 
They're like, dude, can you believe what's happening in our church? This is awesome. And many wonders and miraculous signs were being done by the apostles. Prayers were being answered. People were being healed. Lives were being changed. The believers were together, and they had everything in common. Man, they started selling their possessions and their goods, and they started giving it to people who were in need. Dude, that's compassion. That is amazing generosity, and it's driven by a love for Jesus. And you know what? We've seen that same thing in our church over these last six months, serving, giving, praying, calling, honoring the Lord, blessing the community. It says every day, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. What, what is that? That's what we've been doing for the last 192 days. We get together, we watch the service online. Now we're regathering, praise the Lord. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying all the favor of all the people. There's these little small groups, these little discipleship groups all over the community where the believers are getting together. And man, it was just amazing. And what was the outcome? Dude, the Lord added to their number daily people who were being saved. Now, let me put this whole passage up here again. You've got it right in front of you. Look at this quality of life. Look at the quality of life. They're being coached every week by the wisdom of God's word. So they're growing spiritually. They're becoming more disciplined. They're becoming more wise. And then they're worshiping in life-changing ways. Their hearts are filled with inspiration from the Lord. And then they're serving each other and making life better because they're doing life together. And listen, everybody needs that. And they're giving their time and their resources to help, help, help. And it didn't make them resentful. It didn't make them grudging. It made them glad. They enjoyed this kind of life. And everybody who knew them admired them and were drawn to Jesus because of the quality of life that they saw in the followers of Jesus. Now, pop test. How many religions in the ancient world promoted the Acts 2, 42 to 47 style of life? Think about it. How many religions in the ancient world promoted that kind of lifestyle where you put other people first, where you think of others before yourself, where you sacrifice for the sake of others. How many religions in the ancient world? Answer is zero. Not a single one other than followers of Jesus. Zero. There was not one pagan religion in the world that taught anybody to think of other people, care for other people, treat other people with compassion, put them before yourself. Not a single one. And let me tell you, it's pretty much still true today. Listen, man, when a tsunami hits the coast of India, the people from the dominant religion in that country, they don't come out to help. They don't come out to take care of people because they believe they got hurt because of karma. And if you help somebody who got hurt because of karma, bad karma will rub off on you. Let me tell you who helps those folks in their suffering. Christians. Christians in India. Christians from around the world come to help. Now, think about it back in the day. The teachings of Jesus had not had enough time to elevate the value of human life in the minds of the people in our world. Consequently, you know this, in the Roman Empire, when a child was born, if the family didn't like the way that baby looked, if the family didn't like the sex of that child, if they didn't want that child, they thought they couldn't afford that child, they would abandon that child. Take that kid out in the woods and leave him by the side of the road and walk away. And that was normal, normal in the Roman Empire. No law protecting that little life. And let me tell you, it was especially likely to happen to little girls. You know why? They stupidly thought that girls don't have the value of little boys. That, you know, a boy can work harder and he, well, you can sell him for more or whatever. And so this form of genocide was especially prevalent against little girls. It's horrible. 
heartbreaking. But that was the culture of Rome. That was normal back in the day. Sick people, even if it was your family member. Man, I can't worry about that. We'll abandon them. You're on your own. They didn't care because it's all about me. Listen, if you've done any study of history, you know that when a pandemic hit, the physicians in the ancient world, the few that there were, fled. They fled the danger and left people with nobody to care for them. The wealthy government leaders did the same thing. They all had houses out in the country. They left their people like sheep without a shepherd. And against this harsh, dark cultural backdrop, followers of Jesus stepped up for the first time in history with a level of love and care and generosity that our world had never seen before. This is history. When children were abandoned, rather than just let them die or be enslaved or sold to some brothel somewhere, followers of Jesus were famous for fostering compassion. They took these children into their own homes, treated them like their own family. Dude, the teachings of Jesus brought abandonment to an end in the Roman Empire. When people got sick, Christ followers were the ones who were moved by compassion to help the suffering and provide food and care for the sick. Friends, during this Antonine and Cyprian pandemics, it was the followers of Jesus who led the way with a level of love and generosity that our world had never seen before. And friends, history shows us that it was the generous love of followers of Jesus during those pandemics that created an interest in Jesus. And I'm telling you, man, in the worst of times, why did the followers of Jesus do the best of things? <laughs> well, because that's what Jesus did. And they were following him, right? I mean, you remember back in John 13, the night before Jesus died, he told his followers, all right, y'all, let's read this all together. I just want to hear some voices. Y'all ready? Here we go. Big voice. Now, come on, like lions. Here we go. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. What? Not just be nice to everybody. But as I have loved you, I care, so you care. I am moved by compassion, so you will be moved by compassion. Jesus generously gave time and love and effort. And so his followers generously give time and love and effort. Dude, that changed the world. And then here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, by this, come on, next slide. Oops, did I already do it? Back up. Okay, you're going to have to take my word for it. <laughs> Jesus said, by this, everybody will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Think about it. By this, everybody will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, friends, when followers of Jesus started living this kind of generous love, it was the most radical thing the world had ever seen. They'd never seen anything like this before. And we know the early church did it because Acts chapter 2 is kind of a, you know, is kind of a declaration. All you got to do is look at Acts chapter 2. We've been unpacking this passage for the last month. Dude, if you read this text, you know, it sounds so utopian, doesn't it? I mean, people just loved and served and gave so freely. I mean, it was like everything they owned actually belonged to the Lord. And you know what? That's exactly what they did. And the church grew exponentially. Now, friends, think back to the beginning of the COVID crisis. Think about all the help our church started providing in this city. And friends, I'm telling you, I think that is the closest we've been to the New Testament in a long time. 
I mean, you remember we threw up on our website a need help, give help page on the website. So if you had a need, all you had to do is let us know. If you wanted to help, all you had to do is let us know. And let me tell you, a lot of people got in play because of that. This couple out at our Effingham campus used their catering business to provide countless meals to local law enforcement and first responders and hospital staff. Dude, they started meal trains for people who were having hard times. They prayed over every meal they packed. And I'm telling you, God has worked through them in an amazing way. Man, when COVID started, hitting us, COVID started hitting us hard, we brought two families, you know, missionaries from our church who were in Ethiopia. We brought them back to Savannah because their kids were in danger. And let me tell you, that's a lot of kids right there. That's a lot of kids. Now, remember that when I tell you what happened when they had to go back to Ethiopia. But, you know, we brought them back over here so that we could get them out of danger. And, man, they could have some time here and went through an assessment with us. It really helped them. But because of your generosity... Because you gave so generously, we were able to get them back to Ethiopia just as soon as possible. And when they got to Ethiopia, they had to spend two weeks in a hotel room with those kids. Let's stop and pray right now for them, shall we? I mean, you know, wow. But let me tell you, when they got out of that hotel room, they went back to the national leaders that they've been supporting all this time. And they tell us that the churches in Ethiopia are baptizing more people now than they did before the pandemic. Before the pandemic. Praise the Lord, man. You know why? Because pandemics make people feel a deep need for hope. And you can only find that hope in Jesus. And they feel a deep need of certainty in uncertain times. And faith in Christ is the only real source of that kind of certainty. I mean, think about your own life. I mean, think about your lifetime. Have you ever been so willing to share toilet paper with other people? <laughs> My toilet paper is your toilet. All right, that might be a little exaggeration. I'm not sure any of us love the Lord that much, right? But you remember people were in need of groceries? We're on it, man. I know so many compassionate Christians who are picking up groceries for elderly people and delivering it to their homes and their apartments so that those vulnerable folks would not have to be exposed. Financial hardship, let us help. I know a family here at the Henderson campus who used their stimulus check. They got a stimulus check. They didn't need it, so they used it to provide simple needs for people, needs, meals for people who are in need. They literally made these little meals up, put a prayer card and a recipe in every bag. They made hundreds of meals with that money. Groceries for the needy. Handing them out through our Lighthouse Ministry. 40,000 bags of food distributed to kids with hunger and anxiety in our community. Dropping off meals all over town for people in need. I remember people walking up to our church on Sunday morning while we were taping the message here. And I could see them walk up and the doors were locked, you know, because we couldn't allow access but they'd be at the front door rattling on the door and this and that. And you know what? They came here because they thought this is a place where I can find compassion and help. And, you know, we got this new worship guy, uh, Joel Johns. You met him a few minutes ago. Uh, Joel came to our church during COVID. And people ask him, how do you like the church? He's like, I don't know, man. We, had, we hadn't had a service yet, you know. I'll tell you since we have some services. But Joel came to me after we were finished taping. He said, hey, there's a rough looking guy out at the front door and I don't know if they need something or what, what do we do with that? And I'm like, I got that man. So I walked out of the front door. That rough looking guy was my buddy Scott. Him and his wife, they had driven up here on bicycles, right? And then they met somebody outside that was in need. And so they're praying with them and talking with them. I'm telling you, man, that, six, that last six months that we have lived together may be the closest to the book of Acts we've all been in a long time. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired and weary. This is going on a lot longer than we thought. But I just want to thank all of you for not growing weary of doing good. Man, I know it's a temptation, but you know what? We were born for times like this. Dude, we were born again for times like this. Amen? 
Man, Paul said, let us not become weary in doing good because at the proper time we will reap. We will reap a harvest if we don't give up. And I'm telling you, man, those believers in the second century hung in there. And because they did, the church grew exponentially into a world-changing force, so much so that one of the high-impact church leaders and church planters in the second century was a guy named Eusebius. And he lived in Caesarea Martima. Uh, I've been there many times. You've taken lots of compassionate Christians there. It's right on the Mediterranean Sea. It's beautiful. But Eusebius was a church leader there. And here's how he described the ministry of their church. He said, all day long, some of the Christians tended to the dying and to their burial. Countless numbers who had no one to care for them. Other Christians gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those who were withered from famine and distributed bread to them all. What? Who does that sound like? Who have you read about in the New Testament who gave bread to thousands of hungry people? That's what Jesus did. And let me tell you, that's what his followers did as well. And listen, when everybody in the second century ran out, those followers of Jesus stepped in with a radical love that led to radical generosity. And you know what the result was? Look, look what Eusebius wrote in the second century. The Christian deeds were on everyone's lips and they glorified the God of the Christians. They weren't bragging on the Christians. They were bragging on the God who loved through those believers. Now here's the principle. Our generosity is a key that opens hearts to the gospel. Dude, it is a historical fact. And I'm telling you, in two of the darkest pandemics in world history, Christians didn't run, they didn't hide. Dude, they stepped up and they led with a radical kind of love and generosity and they turned their world upside down. Or maybe I should say they turned it right side up for a while. And this is why historian Rodney Stark says some of the marked growth of the church in the early centuries can be attributed to the care and the compassion that Christians showed for the sick during these times of pandemic. Now, friends, we don't talk about this all the time, but I hope it's obvious to you by now that Christianity spread so rapidly across the Roman Empire because of both persecution and the pandemics. Man, the Roman persecution purified the church and the global pandemics became a platform for this radical love and generosity that always accompanies real faith. And friends, that's how it happened. And it transformed the world. Listen to what Candida Moss, who's a professor of New Testament at Notre Dame, said. She said this about the Cyprian plague, an epidemic that seemed like the end of the world actually promoted the spread of Christianity. Why? Because it became a platform for the love of Christ operating through his followers. Friends, the early church showed that radical love and generosity out of obedience to Jesus. And then God used that to change the ancient world. And if he can do it back then, he can do it now. And he can do it through us. Now, I know what some of y'all are thinking, Cam, bro, I don't know. You know, our world is so dark. It's so divided. I'm just not sure that could happen now. Really? You think our world is darker now than it was during the Roman Empire? Friends, the darkness of the Roman Empire is what gives me hope. Dude, we ain't ever seen politics and culture and sexuality and self-centeredness that was as corrupt and as brutal and as dysfunctional as it was back in the Roman Empire, and yet the church thrived in that environment. 
And friends, I'm telling you, if we love and give and serve and worship like they did, our ministry will thrive too. Can you hear amen? amen? Now, you know, last week, Sarah and I visited our family up in New Jersey. And you know, when you fly into the Newark airport, you can see the Freedom Tower, you know, number one World Trade Center. You can see this thing 25 miles away in the airplane. I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable. It's a beautiful thing. And we got to talking about the Freedom Tower, and then we started talking about 9-11 while we were up there. And I remember exactly where I was sitting 19 years ago when that second airplane hit that second tower. And man, we heard about the additional terrorist attacks at the Pentagon, and we heard about the crash in Pennsylvania. And that was a defining moment in our country. You know what, you know what happened at our church the next Sunday after 9-11? You couldn't find a seat. The place was packed. Y'all remember that? But unfortunately, it didn't last very long. It was kind of short-lived, man. It was kind of a flash of pain and then passed away pretty quickly. But I wonder if 19 years from now, there will not be multitudes of people on every continent who are followers of Jesus because of the love and generosity that the followers of Christ have shown during this pandemic. And I can promise you this, people who have been baptized at our church almost every week for the last 192 days. And I know that there are compassion Christians who are showing compassion to people who feel left out. And I know that your generosity built a downtown campus that is having their first service right now. Anybody want to praise the Lord, man? Awesome. Awesome, 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 awesome. Now, before we go today, let me give you two questions that if you're online, you can ask somebody who's sitting with you watching this service right now. Or if you're here regathered with us, you can ask this question in the car on the way home. Can you think of one way that God has used your love and your generosity to bless somebody during this health crisis? Now, don't look at that question and go, oh, Kim, I don't want to brag about that. Listen, we're not talking about you. We're talking about how God has used you to show the love of Christ during this time of crisis. Can you think of a time that God used you to show his love to somebody in this time of crisis? And then here's the second question you should consider. Can you think of one step that you could or maybe should take this week so that the love and generosity of Jesus would be more obvious in you. Maybe you're not serving and you need to sign up to serve somewhere. Or maybe you quit tithing because you panic and you need to start tithing again. Or maybe you've got a neighbor you could help or a foster family you could bless. Whatever the answer to that question is, friends, the generous love the church shows today will have a world-changing impact tomorrow. Father, thank you. Thank you for the way in the darkest days you have used your church to be the light. You, you have used us to show your love, Lord, to teach your truth, to bless the world, Father. In the darkest of days, when the night's the darkest, the light's the brightest. And Father, we're just so thankful that you've chosen to work through your church. You did it during the Antonine plague. You did it during the Cyprian plague. You're doing it during the COVID plague. And I pray, God, that you will be glorified by what your church does today. And I pray, God, that if there's anybody here yet that does not have that deep love of Christ just moving through them, that they will take that next step, whatever it is, toward a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. I love you. I love you. I love you. Thank you for coming today. God bless you. Let's talk to our campus pastor here.